And if that's your focus, you're making these decisions based on how do I get money next month when in reality, you've got this long-term retirement and you really need to focus on the long-term, not how do I get the most money next month. If you're trying to get the most money next month, you might retire before a key date that gives you a bunch more in your pension. You might take your pension in a way that helps you next month that really just hurts your spouse 25 years from now. Welcome to the Teacher Money Show, the podcast dedicated to helping teachers navigate your unique financial challenges and unlock your financial superpowers. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, a full-time teacher. Yeah, that's right. I, I teach every day just like you and personal financial coach. And I'm here to help every teacher, whether you're a seasoned teacher looking for fresh insights or maybe looking for some insights on how to transition to retirement or a new teacher who is navigating your first paycheck to have a richer wallet, classroom, and life. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither I nor my guests are engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should not act upon this information without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. I'm excited to have Jeremy Keel here with me today. Uh, Jeremy is a CFP, which is a certified financial planner, a CFA, which is a chartered financial analyst, which are uh, both you know great distinctions that you can get for, for just being a wizard in the field of uh, financial planning. And he is a retirement-focused financial advisor and host of both the Retirement Revealed podcast and Mr. Retirement, the, uh, the YouTube channel. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Sean. I am so excited to talk to you about this idea of transitioning to retirement because a lot of teachers, when they want to retire, uh, are just like trying to drag themselves to the pension line so they can just yank the plug. Uh, and we don't want that. We want the, the transition to be smoother than that. And we want people to know when the right time is to transition and how to make that as smooth as possible. So knowing that this can be a really significant shift and it's hard to, to make that, that move. What are some common challenges that individuals face during this transition towards, towards retirement and how can teachers listening get over those hurdles? Yeah. Like first that you mentioned that a lot of teachers are trying to kind of drag themselves over the pension line. And I found uh, I'm in Wisconsin. And so there's more than 50 different retirement systems that are out there. They're pretty similar. Uh, but in Wisconsin, you can retire at 55. That doesn't mean that you should retire. You can get about 25, even 30% more on your pension if you just work for two extra years. Really? That extra two years can get you 25 to 30% more in your pension. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. So a lot of times when you're trying to drag yourself to that pension line, if that's the way you're approaching it, you might be looking at the wrong line. Uh, figure out not when you can retire, but figure out when you get the most out of the system and you've worked hard, you deserve to get the most out of the system. So I want to say that part first. Uh, but thankfully, a lot of teachers get the summer preview of retirement, right? You, you've got this uh, maybe rhythm of taking a couple months off. The problem with that is you have the rhythm of going back to the classroom again. And so it's probably not going to be too harmful psychologically the day you retire and you have a summer that feels like a normal summer, it's probably the fall that's going to feel really odd and weird. So when you're planning for your retirement and you're thinking this summer, I'm going to do 
everything I wanted to do. Maybe figure out what can you do in the fall? Because that's exactly when you're going to feel it, where you see the school buses come around. You see the kids in the neighborhood going back to school. That's when you're really going to feel the loss, right? You're going to lose a bit of who you are when you no longer are a teacher after, after 30 plus years. And so plan for what you can do in the fall and get ready for that. That's just really interesting because, um, you know, you're a certified financial planner. And the first thing you point out is not the money piece of preparing for retirement, but the, the psychological piece, because we, we get so wrapped up in who we are. Like I am a teacher, right? And, and that's, that's, that's a huge thing that we, we get like stuck into our identity of what, what we do for our, our living. And then when we're no longer doing that, you know, that, that can really feel like an empty hole in our lives. So we need to definitely fill that that hole um, as as we're transitioning into retirement with you know other great wonderful things. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend filling that hole with binging everything on Netflix. Um, you know, just finding things that you can do to to replace that is a huge huge part of of transitioning to retirement. But on the other hand, how can how can the teacher prepare themselves financially to be financially ready to, to retire? Um, are there like milestones they should be aware of along the way or as they're getting close, things that they need to, you know, get their ducks in a row. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, really what you're trying to find out financially is can you replace your take-home pain? You might be a teacher that makes 80 grand a year and you're thinking, how can I possibly get to 80 grand a year when my pension's only, you know, 40,000 a year? Well, in reality, you don't need to replace your full teacher salary of let's call it 80 grand right now. You need to replace your take-home pay because chances are they're taking out the uh, FICA, Social Security taxes. They might be taking out some pension contributions like they do in Wisconsin. You might be saving into your Roth IRA or your 457 deferred comp plan. Those are all things that won't be happening in retirement. You don't have to save for retirement when you're in retirement. And so it's not your high top level salary that you're shooting for. It's your take-home pay. That take-home pay, maybe, you know, three grand, four grand, five grand a month, whatever that is, that's what you need to uh, shoot for. And chances are when you look at your pension, even maybe your Social Security, it's just not going to be enough to get there. So you definitely should be saving beyond just what's kind of done automatically with your Social Security and pension. And typically, the best way to do that is something called a 457 deferred comp plan. Typically, the worst way I've seen is something called a 403B. I'm sure uh, we can get into that later on. Uh, but another way to do that is the Roth IRA. Because if you're someone like, um, here I am again in Wisconsin, you can retire at 55. If you're saving into something like a 403B, you have a few years before you're allowed to take that money out. Uh, but if you happen to have a Roth IRA that's saved up, you can always take out the money that you put in. It's a fancy term called cost basis. Regular people call it principal or contributions. Uh, if you put in 50 grand to your Roth over your lifetime, you can take out that 50 grand uh, before there's any sort of you know milestones like 59 and a half. So sometimes there's a lot of this uh, coordination. I like to think of it like a puzzle. You've got your your pension, you've got your Social Security, you've got your other savings. You might have a spouse with their health insurance and their savings, things like that. You really got to put it all together to make the, the most out of all of it. 
And a lot of times what happens is you're just looking to drag yourself over to the pension line, like you said. I like that uh, like that idea. And then you just kind of do what it takes to get more money next month. And what it takes to get more money next month might not be the best thing, probably isn't the best thing for your whole lifetime, where chances are if you take your pension a way that's different than most people take, if you take your Social Security in a way that's different than most people take, uh, then you can get more out of those pensions and Social Security over your whole lifetime. And often the way to get most out of your pension and Social Security is to wait. Wait until the perfect time to take that, uh, which probably is not the exact day you retire. And that doesn't mean you don't retire. It means you just live off your savings. And so if you're somebody that wants to get the most out of your pension, the most out of the system, like they owe it to you, right? You've worked hard for this. You ought to get the most out of it. You deserve it. The way to do that is to have enough saved to really just bridge that gap between the day you retire and the day that you get the most out of your pension and your Social Security. I, I love that. You know, you want to maximize that amount as much as possible. And the way to do that is to, you know, have some funds on hand to, to bridge that gap. Uh, I love that idea about the, the Roth IRA using the, the the money that you put in, not the money that's grown, but the money you put in to to be able to do that. But that's also kind of possible with the 457. And I know you brought up the 457. Why, why do you think that the 457 is so much better than the 403B? I have my opinions, but I'm, I'm interested to hear the expert opinion on why that that's such a, a, a large difference. Yeah, just take a look at the difference between the 457 deferred comp, which is uh, just a different tax code with different tax rules compared to the 403B. The 403B, you have to wait till 59 and a half to take your money out. The 457, you don't. Uh, so that's just one tax system right there. That's a, I mean, that's a huge difference. And if you take money out of 403B too early, that's a 10% tax penalty. That's that's a huge hurdle you have to jump over. Uh, and then too often, the deferred comp that I see is sponsored or, I don't want to use the word endorsed, but it's kind of set up through the school system or the government system. And when you do that, it's not just your own money. It's not just your own 10 grand or 100,000 or half a million. Maybe you've saved a ton into there. Uh, it's, it's everybody's millions, maybe even billions if it's all the teachers in, in a big state. And the pricing on what a place like Vanguard or Fidelity will charge at 457, they say, oh, this plan has half a billion dollars in it. Here's some very low pricing for it. But the 43B is individual. It's only you and the, a lot of times, insurance company. And the pricing is based on a much smaller dollar amount. And when there's a, when there's a smaller dollar amount in there, the, the, high, the fees are much higher. This is generalization, but it works out 95% of the time. So a lot of times these 403Bs are what's sold to you by a financial advisor. And they have to have a higher fee because they are paying the commission to the financial advisor. Meanwhile, the 457 deferred comp plans, they're probably not sold to you by an advisor, which means they don't need to bake in those commissions. It is very hard. I have yet to find a time or a reason why a 403B would be better than a 457. Uh, welcome to find those time or reasons. Um, go go comment on my uh, YouTube channel, Mr. Retirement, MR Retirement, uh, if, you, if you have a reason why the 43B is better than the 457. Yeah, I, I completely agree that the, the 457, just with the advantages it has, 
is, is so much better than the 403B without those advantages, unless for some reason you have, you know, graded options in your 403B, because it's possible to have, you know, a, a low cost index fund with Vanguard in your 403B options. Um, and it's possible to have a really crummy 457, you know, plan. Uh, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's, uh, you know, you don't always get uh a, a good 403B, you don't always get a, a, a good 457. You just need to look at those fees uh, and, and make sure you have the right choice in front of you. But, you know, probably start looking at the 457 first because it's it's generally going to have lower fees and and a lot more benefits. So I, I really think that, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head on there. And uh, I, I agree with you 100% on, on the 457 being better than the 403B. Um, the other thing you brought up is social security. So we have state pensions. And we have Social Security. Um, and sometimes when we're planning for retirement, we say, oh, I'm going to get my pension and Social Security. But we can run into, into this thing called the Windfall Exclusion Act. Can you speak to that and how that, you know, how teachers can prepare for that and make sure they're not surprised in case that that's something that they're going to run into? Yeah, I like how you said uh, the surprise part. So the Windfall Elimination Provision, W stands for workers. You're the worker. You've got a pension. And you have this pension where you're not contributing to Social Security. Meanwhile, you have another job where you are contributing to Social Security. And just the way that Social Security works, they kind of give you more credit if your average earnings are lower. Well, your your earnings for your job where you have a pension that's not contributing to Social Security, that might be incredibly high, but it's showing up as a zero on your Social Security statement. So when Social Security adds these all up together, they divide it out and average it out, they're counting all of your earnings from your, you know, your teacher pension where you're not contributing to Social Security. They're counting that as zero, which means they're kind of counting you as a lower income worker when you're not a lower income worker. And like I said at the start, the lower income workers get a higher percent from Social Security. So really all they're trying to do with this windfall elimination provision is just try to equalize things out. They're not, they're trying to make sure you don't get extra credit for the earnings that you didn't contribute to Social Security. Now, um, it's not a horribly big dollar amount. I think the maximum you can lose, if you want to call it lose, is roughly $600 on the windfall uh, elimination provision. The problem is what you said is the surprise because Social Security kind of doesn't know that you have a pension where you're not contributing to Social Security. All they know is you took a part-time job in the summer and you made 10 grand and they put 10 grand on their statement and they're doing the calculations as if that's the only thing you earned the entire year. They don't know until they look into it and find out later on that you have this other pension that, that puts you into this uh, situation. So don't get surprised. Make sure when you do your social security estimates, you include that windfall elimination provision. And I've got a, a calculator and publications about this uh, straight from Social Security. I'm going to give you, Sean, so you can put it in the show notes, put it on your, your site there. Uh, but related to the windfall elimination provision is something called the GPO, Government Pension Offset. My uh, Social Security trainer, uh, he calls that the grumpy partner because it has to do with the spouse. And that's the bigger deal where your Social Security could be eliminated if you're getting that as a surviving spouse. And what they're saying is you've got this big pension, let's call it four, five, six grand from the school system. And it's that pension where you didn't contribute to the social security. 
but you also have a thousand or two thousand bucks in Social Security that you're getting, and your spouse gets that as the survivor. Well, if your spouse gets that as a survivor, same thing. The government says you shouldn't be getting this, uh, this, this Social Security amount that you kind of didn't earn because you were paying your money to the other system, not to Social Security. And so they can cut your Social Security by up to two thirds of your pension, which really means a lot of times if you're looking at it saying, oh, I get a thousand bucks from Social Security, two thousand from Social Security because you had, you know, other jobs or you worked after you you got your, uh, you know, pension. Well, then that survivorship oftentimes goes down to zero. So that's a really big deal because that could be thousands of dollars that you, not that you lost it because you aren't entitled to it, but you were counting on it. And you don't want that surprise of thousand, fifteen $1,500, $2,000 of Social Security going away for your surviving spouse. So you want to plan for, and every time you do a Social Security calculator, put into there that you have the, the pension. And that will show you what it looks like when it's you filing for Social Security and how it's a lower amount, when it's maybe your surviving spouse getting your Social Security as a survivor, and it's probably a lower amount. And that's why this thing called survivorship is just such a huge deal for your pension. A lot of times with your pension, there's this uh, default of 50%, where if you're getting 5000 a month, the default is it drops to 2500 a month. It drops in half uh, in the, that world. But you could most likely get 100% survivorship, where maybe you give up a little bit when there's two of you so that you're getting a much higher, getting the same amount when there's only one of you. And that's a huge deal because you fill out that form one time and it's done. You can't change that. That's why I like to say a lot of 92-year-old widows are living on the decisions of their 62-year-old husband 30 years ago, but he's dead and gone. He, he can't change it even if he wants to. A lot of times uh, you made these decisions years ago and it's affecting the widow. So you have to, number one, when you're looking at your pension decision, if there's two of you, you have to see how do I get the most of it for the two of us? And most importantly, how do I get the most of it when there's just one of us when I've passed away as the pension holder and it's now my surviving spouse that's relying on whatever checkbox that I clicked into it 25, 35 years ago? Wow, that's, I, you know, th this is why I bring on an expert, right? I, I love this, this nuanced look at survivorship. So I knew there were some rules about that, but you know, up to two thirds—that's that's huge, right? That you could lose out on on that if that's in your planning, right? And once again, I like how you point out you're not losing it because you're not entitled to it, but if you're planning on it. So if I understand correctly, um, you would still get, you know, money from Social Security because you paid in. They just like reduce it by an amount due to that windfall uh, provision. But then after you've passed away because there's the the survivorship from your pension going to your spouse, they say, you don't need this social security anymore, basically. Well, then you don't need to up to two thirds of it. And that could basically eliminate it depending on how much your pension is. Is that correct? Yeah, really. I mean, social security and your pension is funded by contributions. Your social security is funded by all the taxes you've paid along the way. And they figure out all the rules and the survivorship. There's a survivorship rule of social security that if somebody has a lower amount and the other spouse has a higher amount. When the first spouse dies, the lower amount does go away, but you keep the higher amount. And that's kind of all plugged into the system. It's funded by your tax dollars into Social Security. And what they're saying is, you didn't really pay that much into Social Security. So why should you get the kind of benefit of how these tax dollars are set up? 
and you might think that's a raw deal, yet all your contributions are going to the government system, to the teacher system. Your survivorship is all built into there. So if your survivorship's built into the pension system, that's where you really need to focus and maximize that out. So it might feel like a raw deal, like I lost my Social Security, but really it's kind of like you paid all your survivorship credits to the pension system. And so that's how the system's set up. You just have to focus on where you put your money and whether it actually came out of your pay paycheck or is out of tax dollars or you know union negotiations. You know, it's, There's money that went in there on your behalf. That's where all your survivorship is, is sitting is in the pension system. And you really need to focus on how do I get the most survivorship for uh, my spouse, knowing that uh, you know your Social Security somewhat can't be counted on. But again, go use the calculator. Sean will have that in the in the show notes and everything. Yeah, and if you'd like to get the show notes, you can go to teachermoneyshow.com slash podcast for the show notes for any show uh, that we do. All right, thank you so much for that. That That's just a huge thing. I think it's really important that people um, understand that. And, and also just one last uh, thing, I, I wanna get your take on this. So some teachers pay into social security and their pensions, some only pay into social security, some only pay into a pension. It depends on, on the state and some states are really, really weird. Uh, if you are paying into social security as part of what you're doing as, as a teacher, does this all still apply? Or if you're paying into that, does that basically go, go out the window? Yeah, this only applies if you get a pension that's based on earnings where you weren't paying the Social Security. Okay. So if you uh, if you worked for the British government or British Airlines and you get a pension, you're not paying Social Security taxes. And so you're getting a pension based on earnings where you weren't paying into Social Security. If you were in Ohio or Illinois, uh, those are the main ones that I run into, where you were earning your pension, but you weren't paying into Social Security, that's where it applies. Uh, for my spouse, who's uh, part of the, the teacher system in Wisconsin, she's paying into the pension system. She's paying into Social Security. She's qualified for both, and hopefully we'll be able to get her the most out of both of it, uh, but that's that's it. She's paying for it. It's her, her dollars are going into both systems, and all these GPOs, uh, WEPs, WEPs, it's just a matter of was it uh, did you pay into it or was it paid into it on your behalf? And then, then, and then you're getting the, the benefits out of it. Right. Yeah. I just want to make sure no one freaked out in case they were paying into social security and their pension act. Cause that, that, that does happen as well, but just want to make sure you're aware of that. Look into that when you're doing the calculations. So that way, you know what you're going to get and you're not planning on having thousands of dollars more that you aren't going to get in, in retirement. So let's move on to um, some, like you've, you've gone into retirement now, or you're right on the edge of retirement. Um, what, um, what are these co common financial concerns people have on the edge of retirement? Like they, they're ready to retire, but they're not going to because they have an excuse, a, a financial excuse. What, what, what have you seen there? Yeah, it seems like uh, all the things I read in the finance world is that people are worried about running out of money. And I haven't heard many people, if any, say, I'm worried about running out of money. I'm worried about having no money uh, when I'm 90 years old. What they really seem to be worried about is having enough money next month. And if that's your focus, you're making these decisions based on how do I get money next month, when in reality, you've got this long-term retirement, and you really need to focus on the long-term, not how do I get the most money next month. If you're trying to get the most money next month, 
you might retire before a key date that gives you a bunch more in your pension. You might take your pension in a way that helps you next month that really just hurts your spouse 25 years from now. You might take your Social Security because it gives you more money tomorrow, uh, but it's, it's going to really hurt you down the road. So the, the most common financial concern, I think, is a human concern. Like, I just need to survive and live and, and have some fun today. And when you're, when you're doing that for something like retirement, where so many decisions you cannot change. You can't change the day that you retired, most likely. You can't change when you start your pension. You can't change uh, generally when you start your Social Security. These are things you do once when you are thinking about what do I do to get money today that are likely to hurt you in terms of what are you going to do uh, with money down the road. So the, the biggest financial concern is one that we all have. Like, why do I, why do I bother saving for my retirement? Why don't I just go buy the new stuff today? Right. It's, it's a similar, it's a similar situation. The difference is often it's not when I hit retirement, do I keep saving into my retirement? Like that's your decision when you're 25 is all my friends went and bought a $400 a month lease an $800 a month lease in a car. And I'm putting $300 a month, $500 a month into my 457 or my Roth. It's not uh, kind of that sacrifice. It's really the sacrifice of I paid taxes early, so I got tax-free money later. Or I waited one year on my pension, so I get 20% more for the rest of my life. So it's, it's an interesting situation where it's, you're still making a sacrifice to help yourself in the future. And uh, what's, what's common when you hit retirement is you feel like you're done making sacrifices. Like, I've done this. Now it's time to collect. And uh, if you take that approach, you often make decisions and choices that uh, help you this month, but hurt you for the next 30 years. Yeah, I think that's huge. And, and I, I sadly think that that's way too common among teachers. I'm sure it's common among everybody. But for me, you know, every time I see one of these uh, substitute teachers who are there every day, and they are obviously well, well over retirement age, but they're coming back because they they need the money. They, 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 they made this decision on what would be better next month, but then long-term it turned out that wasn't the right decision. So they have to you know, keep coming back and, and working uh, you know, longer term. I, I think that's, that's, that's huge that um, you need to be prepared for later. We don't like to yep. think about later, yep. but if you're not prepared for later, uh, you're going to be that teacher who's coming back to substitute teach or do something else to try and make ends meet because you weren't thinking about later to begin with. Right on. So how how should a, a teacher who's been you know, investing, of course, into their pension, but they, they've also invested in a 457 or maybe a Roth IRA or even a 403B, how should they shift their approach to their investments at the edge of retirement or, you know, once they've retired. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I'm glad you said at the edge of retirement, I'm thinking back to 2020 where I was uh, meeting a few prospective clients that worked for companies that had big layoffs in 2020 because all of a sudden the economy dropped. And a few of them in particular, I'm thinking of two right now where they said, Oh, I plan to retire at the end of the year. And of course, they got cut, you know, laid off in the summertime. So they plan to retire at the end of the year. They are less than 12 months away from retirement. And yet they still had almost all their money in the stock market. They knew that 
they were retiring soon, but they hadn't changed their investments based on retiring soon. So then the stock market dropped in March of 2020 and they freaked out because, oh my goodness, I need this money soon. And so they just sold out of the market, went to cash. Well, then all of a sudden the market came back up and then they lost their jobs and then they needed to, to rely on this money a lot sooner than, than they thought. And so if you are looking at retirement saying, I'll change things when I get to retirement, it's like you have this belief that all my money needs to grow as fast as it can until one exact day. And then all of a sudden I switch things and I, I need to preserve and keep that money there and focus on interest rates instead of growth. That's how most people look, look at it. But if you know that you're retiring a year from now, the stock market drops 30% of all years. Do you want to take that chance with your money if you're retiring a year from now? Uh, if you're retiring three years from now, five years from now, why take that, that chance? So you need to start changing your investments, getting ready for your retirement years ahead of time, maybe three, four, five years ahead of time. Uh, there's this uh, great uh, kind of phrase for retirement called the retirement red zone, where the five years before you retire and the five years after retirement are the biggest financial risky years of your life because of just what I described. What if you're getting close to retirement and the market just tanks right before you retire? You've got to be prepared for that. That's a big danger. Uh, what if you retire and you think, I've been making 10% a year, so I can just live on 10% a year. And then the, the next year, it does what happened in 2022, where virtually everything dropped 20%. Well, how are you going to come back from that one? So you need to be prepared for retirement uh, much further ahead of retirement than waiting till the day you, you hit retirement. Uh, just an interesting thing to tax wise and human behavior wise is people like to live on free money and people like to avoid pain and social security and your pension feel like free money and taking money on your 403b 457 401ks paying the taxes that feels painful and so what most people do is they take their social security and pension today because that feels like free money and they just delay and wait on taking money from their traditional retirement accounts because they want to wait till later to experience that pain. Well, when you do all the math and your teachers, you ought to know the math uh, or somebody that knows how to do the math. Uh, when you look at the math on, you've got this choice of, do I live on my social security and pension today and my 403B later? Or do you reverse that and live on your 403B today and your social security and pension later? When you run the math, 90% of the time, you come out ahead. Uh, it's a bit because of taxes. It's a bit of just how Social Securities and pensions work, where Social Securities and pensions will last as long as you do. Your 401k, your 403b, your savings account is not guaranteed to last as long as you do. So there's a lot of kind of tax built into this suggestion. There's a lot of the idea of longevity of how long might you live built into it. But when you run the math, 90% of the time, I'd say, you come out better if you live on your own money first, withdraw from those traditional accounts first, you know, keeping in mind the taxes and the rules like the 59 and a half we talked about, and then taking your social security and pension later on. And when that later on is, I don't know, but there's the math there, right? When meeting with, with people, I can figure that out of what works best for them. Right. That, that, that's a really great, uh, great piece of advice that, you know, you would, you would think you'd want to avoid the taxes, but if you take them first, first of all, you know, tax rates are probably going to go up <laughs> just with the way things are going. But if you take them first, 
um, uh, you are delaying the amount that you're going to, uh, the, the time that you're going to take those pensions, and that will increase the amount that you're going to get from them. Because the longer you delay, they think, well, I can pay you more since you're going to live less long, right? Uh, so the, those two double whammies really can help, help in, the, in the long term. Uh, you mentioned this rebalancing, right? It's moving from uh, riskier stocks to to like things that have uh, interests like bonds or things like that. Are you rebalancing from the riskier to the less risky when you're on the edge of retirement? They have uh, you know these, these target date funds, which are basically what everyone gets shoved into immediately if if you're getting put into something without you know thinking about it beforehand. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on using a target date fund to rebalance for you. Do you think that's you know, generally wise, uh, would you recommend working with an advisor uh, to figure out the best way to rebalance or how do target date funds work? You know, just give us a, a rundown of those, please. Yeah, I love target date funds when you are working and you're adding money into the account. The less decisions you make, the better off your decisions are a lot of times. And if you focus on the decision of how do I put the most money into my 457, and you just kind of ignore the decision of, should I have 42% in stocks or 43%? Like, ignore these decisions like, like that and focus on the things you can control and where you have a huge impact on. And just putting your money into the target date fund makes your life easier and helps you just focus on the things that you can control. Then you start getting towards retirement. And when you get to retirement, two things happen. It used to be where you had a long-term investment. This is all down the road. This is all down the future. It, you didn't have to think of the short term. Then you retire and you now have a short term. You still actually have a long term and maybe the, the target date fund could be fine for your long term. But if you're viewing your target date fund in the long term in retirement, you've got to pick a long term target date fund. You ought to pick one that's maybe 25 or 30 years from now, even if you're retired today. But you also have a short term. And those short-term investments, those short-term needs, the things you need next uh, week, next month, next year, those are probably better off and things that uh, don't jump up and down all the time like a target date fund would be. The, the danger, and I had that example of a couple uh, potential clients I talked to back in 2020, they looked at everything as one bucket of money. And they thought, oh my goodness, the market dropped. I need this money next year. I have to get totally out of the market. They didn't need all their money next year. They just needed a piece of their money next year. And so if they had ahead of time kind of split up their money, perhaps split up at least their, their mind frame that this is two pots of money. There's some money I need next year, next couple of years. You probably want to bring your risk way down. And then there's money I won't need for three, five, 10, 20 years. You can probably keep your risk just the right, the way it was. So what, what happens is you, you look at your whole bucket of money as one still when you hit retirement and you make decisions on your long-term money uh, that you really shouldn't because you think, oh, what if I need it next, next month? Well, you don't. It's your long-term money. You, you can still keep it going for the long-term. So that's why you need to have this kind of dual mindset when you get close to retirement of, I've got the short-term money for when I need it in the short-term. I still have the long-term money for when I need it uh, in the long run. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important to remember that when you retire, it's not like time stops and you're like, I retired and that's it. Like, you know, you, you have another 30 years in a lot of cases, 40 years 
some of us even have 50 years after we retire that you're going to need to continue to draw money from that those accounts so if you don't have you know money growing uh, you you could definitely run out of, of, of funds if you're not uh, thinking long term and short term at that point okay we're, we're starting to to run out of time so i wanted to just uh, ask you one more retirement question and then you know get into our final questions that that we have here uh, as we are getting into you know retirement how should we be thinking about our our tax situation all right, taxes are still there in retirement, uh, but how they impact us is shift. So what are some concerns that we should think about with uh, with taxes when we're uh, retiring and how do we just think through those problems? Yeah, what's interesting about taxes in retirement is you have a lot more choices on your taxes in retirement than you did before retirement, right? Before you retired, you get your W-2, you put on your tax form, you really can't change much there. But when you hit retirement, you have so many choices that you can control. You can decide if I'm taking my pension today or the next year or two. You can decide if I'm taking my Social Security at 62 or all the way up to 70. You have traditional accounts, Roth accounts, brokerage investment accounts, and savings accounts. Those are four different accounts with four different tax situations. And you can choose to take money out of those different accounts uh, and you have a different tax situation going on. Even just the timing of it. If you take out money in December or January, the same dollar amount, that's two different tax years. That could easily be two different tax uh, percentages or situations that are hitting there. So your retirement is a huge opportunity when it comes to taxes, where you can really choose what types of accounts you take the money from, whether it's your traditional Roth, your pension, your Social Security, and you can choose the timing of those accounts. Do I take uh, double the amount of money in December and nothing in January? Do I pay taxes on purpose in 2024 with something called a Roth conversion, or do I you know, take this money out taxable later on? You have so much more choices when it hits uh, retirement, and taxes are one of your, your big, huge, it's one of your big, huge bills. Your top three bills in retirement, uh, roughly 20% each is what the averages are for Americans, is your housing, your healthcare costs, and your taxes. Uh, probably can't change terribly too much on the healthcare costs. Although go for a walk for about 30 to 60 minutes a day, that might be helpful. Uh, your housing, you have some choices there, right? You could downsize to a, a smaller house with less property taxes, less utility bills. You can move out of California and go to Arkansas and get a much you know, lower house, much better house for a lower price, right? There's a lot of things you can do on the housing. You usually don't, though, because you stick around with where you're at. And so that leaves you with the taxes. Your taxes, you have such a huge control out of there. And if it's one of your top three costs in retirement, and you have a chance to reduce those costs just by planning it out. Your teachers, your planners, right? You plan out the next year, plan out the next 30 years of what your taxes might look like. Of course, I have software that helps me do that. But for you, just think of, times kind of a before and after before and after i retire before and after i take social security before and after these required minimum distribution things start before and after i go from being married filing joint on my taxes to i'm in my 80s or 90s and my spouse dies and i'm filing a single just kind of think through how those taxes might change beforehand versus after that that uh, changing point in your life and if you see oh my goodness, my taxes will be lower at this point, you will want to pay your taxes at that lower rate. 
and if you see my taxes will be higher at that point, you will want to try to defer or avoid taxes at that point. Uh, the best way to, to do those things is usually the Roth conversion, where you say, this is a year with a low tax rate. I want to take this year's opportunity, take money from my traditional account, pay taxes on it once, move it to the Roth account, so all the future growth is tax-free. Uh, yeah, just a question on, on, on that. Um, if you have you know, Social Security or a pension uh, coming in, is that taxable income? Well, it's interesting. So your pension is almost definitely taxable income federal. Uh, there's a whole bunch of rules all around the country in terms of pension. And was it a government pension? Is it retirement uh, income? So on the state side, your pension might not be uh, taxable. On the state side, your Social Security might not be taxable. A lot of states don't um, have you pay taxes on Social Security. They kind of give you credits in a way on that. But when it comes to federal, your Social Security will have between 0 to 85% taxable. Uh, that's another story for a different day. Uh, your pension is almost definitely going to show up as taxable. And so these are things that will show up on your tax return, which is why it's so important to make the decisions on the other stuff of where am I taking the money from, when am I choosing to pay taxes on my 457 and traditional and Roth accounts, things like that. Right. Okay. So, but if you're not taking like the pension or the social security, which is going to be taxable, you could, uh, you know, just trying to throw an idea about like, you know, how you could reduce your taxable income is uh, if you take up to the 24,000 standard deduction, right. From a traditional account, right. That's, you're not taxed on that because that's the standard deduction, right. And then if you have like a Roth account that you pull the rest of the money that you need to live off of from, you're not going to be taxed on that because you've already paid taxes on that, you know, when you put it in. So you can conceivably have, a zero tax year, you know, if you, if you wanted to, to try and live within that constraint, or, you know, since you have such a low tax amount, that'd be the year to do like those conversions over to, to Roth. So that way you're getting, you know, the, the lower uh, tax bracket uh, on those um, amounts. So there's just things you can do to play with, with that, especially in those years before you have the, the pension or social security coming in, which will, you know, increase the amount that you're, you're earning, um, then that's just one idea I had as you were talking about how you can reduce your taxes. I'm sure there's many. And if you'd like to figure out what you can do to reduce your taxes, you can talk to a fantastic advisor like Jeremy here because that's what they do. They think about this all day and they give you advice on what you can do to help reduce your tax burden, help increase your retirement um, you know, interest rates or your, your growth and things like that. No, they'll really help you be prepared to transition to retirement. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, exactly what you said, oftentimes what normally happens is not what's best. Just because you can take your pension today doesn't mean that you should take your pension today. In Wisconsin, just because you can retire at 55 doesn't mean you should retire uh, at 55. And so looking at these different things, uh, a lot of times waiting on your pension, you might actually retire and wait a year or two on your pension. doesn't mean you actually even have to work the next year or two, just maybe even just waiting on that. And you often uh, have something saved up. If you live on your savings uh, out of your bank account, that means your income is close to zero, right? Take out your own money from your bank account. That doesn't show up as taxable interest. So uh, not only do you often get a boost by waiting on your pension, get a boost by waiting on your social security, it just gives you this huge opportunity of I've got this tax form that counts for this one year and you can choose to throw your traditional IRA on that as a conversion because you're using those 
deductions and the 10% and the 12%, uh, those low, low tax rates so that you can get it over to tax-free money. Because later on, if you wait a couple of years, you take your pension, your social security, that's showing up on your, your tax forms themselves. You need some extra money. It's really nice to take it out of the Roth because you've already prepaid the taxes. Uh, you'll most likely come out ahead, but it's all about the planning. You just plan it all out. And um, usually when you plan things, they, they get done uh, quicker and better. That is very true. All right. I think I might even know what the answer to this question is going to be, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What is your number one tip for teachers to have a richer wallet and classroom in life? Yeah, I'm going to say the number one tip is to spend less than you make. Your money happiness is not about how much you have. It's about how much you want. And when you want less, you actually have more. And that all starts with spending less than you make. I love it. When you, wait, when you have, when you, when you want less, you have more. Okay. That's I'm going right. to keep that in my, my brain. When you want less, you have more. I, I love that. Um, that. That's beautiful. Beautiful way of putting it. <laughs> Appreciate uh, it. <laughs> So uh, if a teacher wants to, to work with you or they just want to you know, reach out and ask you a question, how could they get in contact with you? Yeah, uh, you can check out my podcast website, which is retirement-revealed.com. In the top right corner, it says, ask Jeremy a question. So go ahead and ask me a question. So that's uh, retirement-revealed.com. Or uh, check out, we've got a bunch of videos uh, on YouTube going through different financial concepts. And on YouTube, I'm at Mr. Retirement. So at MR Retirement is uh, how to find me on YouTube. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming on the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Sean. I love talking uh, teacher money because they've, they've worked hard and, and they, they deserve to get the most out of it. If you'd like to come on the podcast for coaching, to share an expert opinion, or just to talk about a topic you think is relevant, I'd love to talk to you. Just fill out the form at teachermoneyshow.com slash guest. I look forward to talking with you.